Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the Lean Startup by Eric Rees, how constant innovation creates radically successful businesses. If you've ever tried a new side project that's gone south and that's failed, you realize that uh, you've been duped. The magazine covers plastering the superstars and the documentaries of hard work and perseverance. You realize that, well, you sort of did the same thing and it didn't lead to success. And even worse than failing for your own sake is all those uh, the mates, the family members, the colleagues, all those people mm. you said that you're about to become the next superstar. You now have to go back and say, oh, actually, it, it didn't work out. So the stories we see on all the magazines, they're all lies. You might have bought into this story when you told all your mates how much you're going to be driving a Lambo in two years' time, but the day when you uh, rock up and you have to sell the piece of shit car just to put food on the table, uh, that's probably a little bit more close to reality. (laughs) So uh, startups and side projects, they can fail for two reasons. One is too much planning, one is not enough. So in the first case, the first problem is the allure of a good plan. You might think that you build this solid strategy, you go through all this market research, you get a big factory to create this new machinery to pump out this awesome brand new product that you've thought of, you've spent tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and tens if not hundreds of thousands of hours to make this awesome thing. It was the perfect plan, the perfect strategy. You get it, the first one is put Mm. up for sale and then all you hear is crickets. Yeah, that's an unfortunate thing because startups operate in a place of uncertainty and you can do all the market research and planning in the world but um, unless you get to the point where you're trying to sell it, you really haven't learned much. And then the second big way to fail is not planning enough. So you might just think, oh, I've got this awesome idea. I'm just going to go out there and do it. Take the Nike approach, just do it. Uh, You get out there, you start doing stuff and you keep doing stuff, but you never really know what you're doing and you just end up fizzling out because you you don't really have any direction that you're heading for. So the Lean Startup, it's got a cult following. It's one of the core business books that everyone needs to read. And what we're going to do in this episode is go through the Lean Startup process, which is a much better way of approaching businesses, projects, and startups. The grim reality is that most startups fail, most new products are not successful, most new ventures do not live up to their potential. You know, you always hear the stats that 90 or 95% of new businesses fail in the first 12 months. But the problem isn't that. you know, business and entrepreneurship is a bad idea. It's just the problem is the way that most people go about it is the wrong way to do it. Yeah, there's the mantra that if we build it, they will come, which uh, is a very poor strategy. I think we've both had a crack at the if we build it, they will come with some very, very stupid side projects in the <laughs> past. Uh, you put all your money and your time and investment into it, you do build it, then all of a sudden no one's coming <laughs> and you <laughs> wasted a bit of your dough and uh, everything's no good. So that's exactly right, Ash. So those stats you were just throwing out they were in the book but also even doing a quick 2020 google search 90 percent of new startups fail only 40 percent of startups actually turn a profit and 82 businesses fail to do so because of cash flow problems so the statistics are grim in this game you're probably going to lose so as you said the the two biggest problems is one is just planning too much and going out and building it and then at the very end realizing that no one wants it or planning too little and you don't know what the hell you're doing we, we use the metaphor of driving a car uh, as a better way to do it where you're constantly driving and constantly getting feedback along the way. So a car has two important feedback loops. The first one is a, a feedback loop inside the engine itself. Now, I don't really know anything about cars, but hmm. we'll go with it. The book says it that back in Henry Ford's day, there was like little 
basically a little explosion inside the cylinder and that gives the energy to drive the wheels forward basically. Mm-hmm. And it also provide a bit of feedback to know, well, how much more of an explosion do I have to do next to keep it going forward? So there's this ongoing feedback loop between this explosion inside the engine that drives everything forward. So that's the first part in the metaphor, this engine of growth that has this immediate feedback loop. Uh, with the steering wheel and the driver is that when you grab the steering wheel and you turn it left, it's absolutely immediate and the whole car turns in the same direction straight away. So it is this steering that differentiates it from other modes of transport. If you think about a big rocket ship uh, with SpaceX launching, they will do pretty much pre-program everything and then mm. that'll just hit go and then they're probably just hanging out for the 10 minutes up until launch time. So it's about a huge difference between the feedback you get between the direction and the order and the actual execution of the task. So that's the problem is that most startups look like they're trying to build a rocket ship. They're trying to build everything precise, everything exact to make sure we've got the literally the, the millimeter by millimeter trajectory that we need from the start point to the end point. But what we're saying is what we should be doing instead, it's more like driving a car in that you're looking where you're going and every now and then you're going to have to make some small adjustments on that steering wheel to get to the right spot. So when we're doing that huge market research and the planning and everything looks immaculate in this huge report you've done, you really are doing the rocket ship method where you're not going to get feedback for a very long time and it could be entirely wrong in this scenario. So when we're launching, maybe not launching, when we're driving <laughs> yeah, our startup, we've got four <laughs> questions to, to answer here. Uh, the first one is, do customers recognize that they have a problem you are trying to solve? The second question, if there was a solution, would they buy it? Number three, would they buy it from you? And number four, can we build a solution for that problem? So the problem with with uh, too many entrepreneurs trying to build their rocket ship is they skip straight to number four. They just say, there's a problem. Can we build a solution? If the answer is yes, then they start building. Mm. But they've skipped all the important things as well. Firstly, you see the problem. Does anybody else see the problem? Secondly, well, if they realize there's a solution, is it something that's going to be worth paying for? And then, of course, are they going to buy you, Joe Blow, on the side of the road? Uh, they're the three questions you need to answer before you even start building this. Uh, I was going to, not a rocket ship, before you even start driving <laughs> that car. Yeah, I think uh, we're so unconscious on the rocket ship approach, Ash, that we just keep <laughs> yeah. using that as a metaphor. And it's a bit hard for us with the car. But when it all goes to shit, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, they'll just pull out oh yeah we're just learning we're just learning it's this old so when elon's rocket comes down and crashes in the ocean he's still learning he is <laughs> he's got the he's kicking ass he wants to do whatever the fuck he wants but uh it is what managers fall back on when we don't get the results that we've promised mm. so under the pressure to succeed entrepreneurs can be wildly creative in demonstrating what they've learned yeah, it's a good it's a good way to say oh we've just we've wasted all this time we've wasted all this money nobody's wanted what we what we were putting out there so the good news is we've learned a lot along the way <laughs> but that doesn't really help you should be you shouldn't be waiting to the end when you've lost everything to learn you should be learning as you go so this this method of the lean startup is you're doing small things uh, every step of the way to get real world feedback uh, I'm trying to shoehorn the car back in you know you're driving on the road if you see a little cactus uh, or a tumbleweed coming across you take mm. a little left turn deviation you're learning as you're going uh, rather than just getting to the end and crashing into the uh, into the tree and realizing you should have been pivoting along the way. So the key distinction here because obviously we want to be learning as a startup, the difference between that shitty learning we were just talking about before, we want to be getting validated learning where we're actually measuring things and we're learning things specifically about our product, about mm. what customers actually want, 
not what they say they want or they think they want. Mm. And we're also answering the, some of those four questions we were talking about earlier. Very start, immediately when you get that piston going and it makes that explosion, <laughs> straight away you're getting feedback as the driver. So one example of a, a company that did this very well is uh, Zappos in the US where it was a, an online shoe um, store and you might normally think that, well, if you're buying a shoe, it's like something that normally lasts for a year, year and a half. Mm. Everyone's got a sort of different size and different shaped foot. So you probably got to go in, you got to try it on, you got to walk around for a bit, you got to look, you know, those little tiny mirrors that are on the side, uh, looking from the cat's perspective, what you would look like in those shoes. And uh, you think that that's, you know, that's the way everyone used to buy shoes. So you think, well, is there a way that people can buy shoes online and not have to do all that? It's a big assumption to just build a massive online shoe store if nobody actually wants to buy shoes online. Oh, 100%. Imagine actually before the internet started, trying to solve that problem, you need to sort out distribution, logistics, all these things and probably buy hundreds of thousands of shoes just to get it there mm. in the first place. But the lean startup model, we we're actually getting this validator learning. Uh, Zappos, who was a shoe product, I thought it was a lolly as well. Z- Zappos? Zappos. Oh, yeah. I think there is a lolly. Well, maybe Zappos. later they pivoted. <laughs> More to come on that later towards uh, towards lollies. Bring us, bring us back to bring back us to back, Zappos. Back, back to Zappos. Back to shoes Zappos. Uh, basically, what they what they first did to test this out, rather than building a massive online website and having shoes all over the country and trucks to send them out to people, they wanted to just test this hypothesis that actually people do want to save time in going to the shops and they do want to just buy shoes online. So what they first did was they asked local shoe stores if they could just take pictures of their spare inventory. So rather than them buying the shoes, they just went to the local shoe stores and says, hey, what do you got lying around? Uh, If we can sell it, we'll take a little bit of a cut, but just tell us what you got. Pretty much close to free when they did that. Um, And then they put those photos online as a way, as a means again, learnings. And then when it was up on a website, again, very cheap to build a website, they could actually see if customers are following those four questions from earlier. Are they willing to buy it and are they willing to buy it from you? And mm. a huge one from that is buying online. I mean, before you anyone bought anything online, why would you buy your shoes online mm. rather than going to a store? So again, just a massive assumption baked in there. Yeah, imagine if you went to the bank with this uh, proposal and you wanted a loan of a couple of million bucks to build this shoe brand, you'd have to find some you know, a Chinese factory to make your shoes and put your stamp on it. You'd have to have tens of thousands of inventory. You'd have to have warehouses all over the country. You'd have to have shipping distribution. And you just say to the bank, well, it's okay because we know that people are going to buy shoes online, so it's all going to work out. That's a massive assumption. Mm. You've got to test it. And the way they tested it was just simple photos, simple website. Once people started buying it and they realized, oh, actually, you know what? People do want to buy shoes online. That's when you can start to ramp it up. So, the new paradigm we're looking at startups as is essentially experiments. We want to be building hypotheses to test a whole bunch of assumptions that we have within these initial business plans. And in this business plan, we want to be separating things that are facts and things that are what Eric calls leap of faith assumptions. And it's these usually these leap of faith assumptions that you've just got baked in in your brain somewhere, you know, 5% of people are going to sign up to Mm. this um, and you just let it go and then sooner or later you find out that's wrong and then everything just fails because of that leap of faith assumption. Yeah. So very early days, we need to find where these are and how the hell we can test these to see if these are are right and then we can get our validator learning. 
Yeah, it's very um, it's very easy to confuse the two. What's a fact and what's like your own brain's leap of faith assumption? Like that the Zappos one, you might say, oh yeah, people buy shoes online. That's a fact. That's not. That's a that's a leap of faith assumption. So you got to be very careful about what these are. One example, we was it, I don't think it was from the book. I think there was a, a Jonesy special made up. Yeah, Susie making a yoga studio. Mm. Like the the idea that if you know one way to build a yoga studio is just say oh everyone's doing yoga these days so I'm going to rent out a studio buy a bunch of mats and then people come to my studio she might set up her business plan uh, and she says okay I'm going to offer you know a free first session and of those ten percent of people are going to sign up for a, a one month membership now that's your leap of faith assumption right there uh, that that ten percent figure you got no idea. Uh, of knowing maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 80%. You might be a, an amazing instructor that 80% of people who come for a freebie sign up for a, a one-month uh, membership, but you might also suck and realize that only 1% of people are signing up. So that that 10% figure, it's an absolute guess. It's a leap of faith assumption, and that's what you've built your whole business model on. So that's the number that you've got to test out. Yeah, instead of uh, going to the bank and getting your loan for a hundred grand, or out of the bank of mum and dad, and just loading <laughs> up into this dream and this passion, follow your passion kind of stuff, she doesn't really have to do that at all. She can just rent a studio for a couple of weeks, or just you know someone's house or something like that. Pop it up on Meetup, and actually see how many people are registering, and then through a funnel, how many people are actually signing up, and then you can look to charge at the very end mm. and try and get a first customers and. They say, nah, look, Susie, you suck. You're not a good yoga teacher. That's a bit of a leap of faith assumption as well for, <laughs> yeah. for Susie. Yeah, definitely. But you're better off getting those learnings now as opposed to post-bank when you just put yourself into that much debt that mm. you, you're cooking yourself. Yeah, I think the – so obviously the wrong approach um, is the, the too much planning approach where you go and get that massive loan and, and rent out the studio and buy all your, all your stuff and get your business cards all branded up. A better way to do it is just that minimum viable product. So what's the smallest thing you could do to test your assumption? So if her assumption is trying to work out that conversion rate from free to paid, as you say, just like go to a park one morning and just offer you know 20 free people to come and roll out the yoga mats and then at the end say, hey, would you pay for this more often? That's a good way for you to actually test that 10% figure and you get some more towards facts than leap of faith assumptions. So you mentioned the minimum viable product here and I think it's probably the most famous concept from this book and probably the best takeaway. And this is really what helps entrepreneurs start the process of learning as quickly as possible. It's not necessarily the smallest product imaginable that you can think of, but it's the fastest way to get mm. through that build measure feedback loop. So in the car, the piston, we're doing that little explosion <laughs> yeah, <that's>... and then <laughs> what's the quickest way to get feedback? Is that, a, is that what happens? There's like explosions all the time? Yeah, just blow, just <laughs> war in there actually. Absolute <laughs> war. I know my cars. I need to know more about cars. Hopefully no mechanics are listening. <laughs> But yeah, so as you say, that that minimum viable product, a lot of people have heard that term and go, oh, I'm just going to make a piece of shit and see if anyone buys it. That's not necessarily the case. It That's minimum, but it has to also be viable as in you have to get close to what you're doing. For Susie, if she does a, a yoga session, uh, yeah, it's not going to be in a perfect studio with the right mood music and the incense going. And so it's not perfect, but it's close enough. She's going to do her core, you know, what her core service of offering a yoga class mm. and she's going to be able to test her assumption. Yep, so we, that's what she's built her, her MVP that we went through. Then measuring, so you know that 10% in the business plan, is it 15%, is it 3%? And based on whatever results she gets, that's where you get the learning. So now we've done the full first revolution and, we're, and now we need to make a decision. 
maybe Susie just goes and plows ahead and goes, all right, this is this is sweet. I'm just going to go bang. Mm. Um, maybe the results wasn't what she liked. Maybe it's a five percent sign up rate where the economics just doesn't work out. And maybe there was some unexpected learning in those first classes, like someone asked her for meditation classes and there was uh, 20% of students all mm. requesting meditation. And that means through this first build, measure, learn feedback loop, she's got very good validator learning. And what she can do here is pivot. So pivot, doing another loop, and it might be with a meditation class embedded in there or something. And then after that, more learnings. And this is the way you're on the steering wheel and you're getting that immediate feedback and you're steering where you're going. One uh, other example we've got, this is a real-world example of a bloke named Drew Houston. He was the CEO of Dropbox and before Dropbox was Dropbox, obviously it was just a, an idea, uh, someone's dream, someone's vision and of course, you, if you go and say, oh, you know, I've got this crazy idea that I want to have Dropbox where from any computer in the world, you can access these files if you put it in the right spot uh, and you go to a developer or a coder and say, how much is that going to cost? That's going to be in the tens of millions of dollars, mm. I'd say, to build some kind of massive software like that. So before you're going and getting investors to give that kind of massive outlay, you need to test, is this actually a good idea? Does, do people actually want to do this? And Drew's quick and simple MVP, his test was a simple two or three minute sort of tutorial video that he chucked up on YouTube. So basically, it was just a screen share where he, he said, hey, this is this cool new software called Dropbox. You got a file here, you drag it over here, it uploads and then, hey, if I go to another computer, I can grab this same file from somewhere else. So that was his MVP oh. with just a two-minute video Pretty on YouTube. Insane, isn't it? Yeah. Two-minute video and his sign-ups went from 5,000 people to 75,000 people overnight onto an absolute winner here. Did a big swing and he's getting a bloody home run here. Yeah. So Drew, after he might have had a couple of reds that night, ball of red and he goes, all right, I might just uh, do this little video. Drew's a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> Good on him. Bloody Drew. Bloody Drew. I hate Dropbox, but uh, it was it was awesome at the time, obviously. I think it, they're done now with one of the Google Docs now, yeah. mate. I think Google's swallowed them up. I think so. A, I think so too. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's just like, that's as simple as it was. Rather than going the full hardcore plan, lots of money, lots of time, lots of investment, only to realize that no one actually wanted it, he's got some serious validated learning here. Mm. You pop up a video, it goes viral, 75,000 people sign up to the waiting list. That's a good way to test your assumptions. So this is a new philosophy you can be applying to really any context. Let's say if you're in the corporate world and you want to uh, do some innovative project within the business and be an entrepreneur, as some people might call it, a few ways you can do it. You might again put the huge business plan together, mm. but the MVP in this case might be actually having a coffee with your boss. And what's that cost you? Five bucks, 35 minutes, and they tell you to get effed or say, <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm super happy with this. I'm happy to you know, go to the higher ups. And after one conversation, you might be bringing uh, something entirely new into the business and um, uh, your initiative might create some kind of change that you're looking to make. So as a recap on this process, we want to be testing our assumptions along the way, doing small versions, doing what we call the minimum viable product to test our assumptions. And what we've got is we've got this build, measure, learn, feedback loop. So you build your MVP, you measure the stats that you need to measure, you, you get those learnings, those validated learnings, and then you've got your option. Do you persevere? So if your learnings are validated, you do another loop, do a, the MVP, do it a little bit better and keep going through that loop. Or do you pivot and go off to the side a little bit, turn, turning that steering wheel to go through another build, measure, learn feedback loop, but in a slightly different way. 
It really is a cool concept to grasp and use in any project that you're taking forward. Something we've both used loads previously since reading this book. So it's been a huge asset having this under the belt as a tool to to use. Um, Most recently for us with the shit they never taught you, originally I'd say the MVP that we had was the top 50 Mm. we've had going for about what three years now. Mm. And we got a few downloads from that, so we thought, all right, let's go and uh, let's go and ramp that up and do a top 100. So we fleshed it out, did everything a bit thicker, and after that, with the thick top 100 of all time, we sent that to a whole bunch of listeners. Thanks everyone who who did that, and then we tried to get our feedback. And so we got some pretty unanimous feedback there. I think the infamous quote, Jonesy, was at the end of January 2020 when you said, "I think we're 95% done." That's when we sent it out for feedback. And uh, a bit of the feedback was, uh, it's great stuff, but uh, we want a bit more of you guys, as in less, less sort of dry summary, a bit more of our story, so more, make it more similar towards the podcast. So that's when we did another loop. So we pivoted a little bit, we did another rewrite of the book, we went through that whole build loop again, and then we went out to the measure, and that's when we sent it out for a bit more feedback and got some, they were saying, okay, yeah, cool, that's heading in the right direction, that's good. And then we did another bloody <laughs> yeah. feedback. Thank God for coronavirus because we wouldn't have done another loop of the piston, exploding piston. Lots of explosion, lots Lots exploding of explosion pistons. at this stage with the steering wheel. So, um, and that's what we ended up now with the, the steering wheel to what we're holding right now in the hand, the shit they never taught you. And, um, I don't know if that, you can't really see that, but hopefully the sound implies how heavy oh, this mofo is. And mate, and thank God we didn't drop that top 100 at the start yeah. because... That would have been horrible and we ended up with a product we're super, super proud of and will be mm. for, I'd say, you know, at least a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully Surely. more. Hopefully longer. <laughs> Hopefully more. Uh, but that's it. If we, the, the original, I guess, was the just do it approach was just the, hey, we've got this idea. Let's just go for it. Let's plow out. We typed out 100,000 words and we're ready. And, you know, if we hadn't read the, the lean startup, we would have just gone, here it is and it probably would have flopped and we would have thought, oh, well, that's it. We're done. Mm. And even if you do get failure, say the top 100 in our, oh, sorry, the top 50 in our case, if mm. that got zero signups whatsoever, that's not necessarily a failure whatsoever mm. because the most important question to ask in your life, should you do this? It's like the old, uh, old seven habits of highly effective people. You can be climbing a ladder your whole life and it does mean shit if the ladder's been leaning against the wrong wall the whole mm. time. So I guess the ladder choosing is the most yes. important thing you can do at the start. Definitely. Rather than get to the top of the ladder and be like, shit, I'm just uh, in the middle of the desert with no water <laughs> in me. Yeah, I think it's something you haven't mentioned yet in this episode that failure is not necessarily a, a bad thing. It's a bad thing if we spend a, a year and a half uh, writing this book, uh, investing all the blood, sweat and tears and we get to the end and no one buys it because we went for this massive end vision and it flopped. That's a bad mm. failure. A good failure is when you say, okay, here's our massive idea. Let's take 1% of the idea, build an MVP. And if that fails, that's actually good. You've saved yourself 99% of the time, the cost, the effort, the energy. And that failure is actually a good failure because that's when you can actually shift, change your, as you say, choose a better ladder before Mm. you even get started. 100%. Drucker said, there is nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency what should not be done at all. And your mentor, Astro, and your inspiration, I saw in a video recently, Elon Musk, oh, <laughs> he said the best part is no part, the best code is no code, uh, which is very in line with this. Is it? I don't get it. <laughs> we'll just get, it. get your man Elon in there. <laughs>